0: You're listening to the Discovery COVID-19 podcast. Our expert guests help you to understand coronavirus disease 2019 and how you can manage your health, well-being and financial security during this time. My name is Dr. Tsiri Kule, Chief Medical Officer of MLI Group. And I'm here today to discuss a series of various important topics related to -to back-to-work readiness in light of the COVID-19 pandemic that has engulfed the world. Today, I'll be taking you through two main aspects of back-to-work readiness, the one being the guidelines that will be very beneficial to employers and employees to follow, and two, support strategies to assist. HR practitioners, decision-makers, and employers make sound, evidence-based decisions as we all navigate the COVID climate together. The impact of COVID-19 globally has really disrupted normal day-to-day life. There is not a single human being who cannot attest to this reality. And yet, as they say, The show must go on. So how do we all, in specifically the working sector, how do we all navigate this very precarious, uncertain environment in light of an invisible pathogen known as coronavirus? I always like to start at pointing some realities we cannot dispute. The first being, The coronavirus has been officially categorized as a group 4 biological hazard when it comes to occupational health and safety, meaning it can cause severe disease and serious hazard to an exposed worker. It also means it can spread to the community and there is no effective prophylaxis and treatment available for this pathogen to date. This categorization Of coronavirus as a biological hazard is the reason back to work readiness has got to take a new meaning to employers and employees alike. The Department of Employment and Labor has been forthcoming in encouraging employers to be cognizant of the need to re-evaluate workplaces when it comes to safety in line of the requirements and legal regulations stated in the Occupational Health and Safety Act 85 of 1993. Just to refresh our memory on the reason the Back to Work Readiness discussion has got to be cognizant of the COVID-19 impact is first by looking at the act itself. Because this is a legislative act that all employers have to abide by and is the first guiding principle of how to approach the back-to-work readiness conversation in the workplace. The Act simply states, it is to provide for the health and safety of persons at work and for the health and safety of persons in connection with the use of plant and machinery. The protection of persons other than persons at work against hazards to health and safety arising out of connection with the activities of persons at work and to establish an advisory council for occupational health and safety and to provide for matters connected therewith. The Act is established to basically and primarily focus on preserving the safety and health of every single worker. I have grouped this particular talk on two big categories around employers and employees navigating this word called safety at the mli group institute we have a very specific approach to any of our big themes and we call it aim and so i will approach these two categories with that in mind aim stands for assessment intervention monitoring so the two big categories of guiding employees and employers on navigating back to work readiness will fall under category one, which is the safety and category two support. These are two very simple S's that you will be able hopefully to align this podcast to when you are navigating the most critical areas of back to work readiness, whether it is remote or whether it is about on-site. Let's start with safety. Safety will be divided into two physical safety, as well as mental safety. Now it's important for employers to understand why mental safety is now as much of a priority in the COVID environment as physical safety. Studies are already starting to show that since the pandemic descended onto the world globally, there's been a doubling of mental health conditions, such as anxiety, as well as acute stress disorder. As employers should now be comfortable in understanding, any mental health distress impacts on productivity and prolonged mental health distress can negatively affect your bottom line. It's now important for us to focus on physical safety. The most important thing for each employer to appreciate is that resources are available in order to make sure that your organization complies with the requirements for the safety of the workers who need to return to the work site. So physical safety is divided into on-site physical safety and of course, remote work safety. Now, it's very interesting to see that the large focus, medical, legally of safety, has obviously been largely put to on-site safety, which should be the priority of all employers first. However, I'd like to make a mention that remote work safety is a consideration for employers and employees because this is also where some of the incidents of the COVID virus can occur. And I'll get back to that shortly. On the subject of on-site physical safety, it is imperative for employers to note that this is largely an occupational health and safety function and that there are occupational health and safety offices around and available nationwide to guide the process of how to one, assess the risk of exposure to COVID-19 at the workplace, assess the relevant infrastructure adjustments that may need to be made, in certain sectors specifically that may lead to an increased risk exposure to employees. And number three, how to create monitoring and evaluating structures and networks that can assist in retaining a low risk COVID environment. Now, this is often the work of medical specialists and it is my most ardent request that employers appoint the appropriate medical professionals to do this particular part. It would be to the employer's benefit to have this done as soon as possible and to engage the right medical professionals to conduct a risk assessment, make the correct recommendations, and of course, when necessary, implement them. So as I said, we have an approach at our institute, and A is for assessment. To appreciate whether your workspace is appropriate for employees to even return to it, one must engage in a risk assessment. There are various resources about the checklists that medical professionals will use and they are available on the National Institute of Occupational Health. Outside of the risk assessment and the implementations that may arise from that, the other key things that will assist employers to make sure that the physical safety is adhered to comprise the following being cognizant of outbreaks near your districts, because most corporate organizations have companies distributed around the country. This is going to be particularly important because COVID is going to be assessed long term and managed long term in pockets of different communities or what we now are calling hotspots. If your company falls under a region that is defined as a hotspot, it is quite likely that even if the physical environment of the office itself is deemed safe, you may need to have periods where you remove your employees from the specific region or allow them to work from home for the time or the period with which that specific region is deemed a hotspot. This will limit the risk of spreading the infection rate, which is going to be the biggest priority for the next coming months. The next strategy is communication mapping for COVID to employees. Defining the role players in your company is going to be of utmost importance in the next coming months, especially in defining the task team that will address employee concerns on safety. The next strategy to implement is knowing, identifying and knowing your health support network for positive employees who are isolated at home or identified at the workplace. Most organizations at this point would have prepared occupational health and safety officers who often work within the company. It is important to demonstrate that these are only screening officers as most of the testing for COVID is done in laboratory labs and must be referred to by a medical doctor. On testing COVID positive, companies must have a plan on how they will support their employees. This is one of the new elements of physical safety that employers must prioritize. In light of this COVID positive discussion, the next strategy is important for employers to also take note, remote versus on-site design. It is going to be a reality for a lot of employers that the need for high risk employees to stay at home is a necessity and should not discriminate those employees from still earning within the same capacity as they did on site. Of course, different sectors will have to debate this because there are some jobs, there are some roles that require an employee to be on site to perform. However, there are many roles that can be done remotely. And so in this particular discussion, I would like to emphasize that on those administrative roles or in those corporate organizations where roles were largely office based this transition into remote work should be a transition that is discussed with employees and all the conditions stated clearly up front. The next strategy on physical safety is the screening management on entry and exits. This is probably the biggest change of on-site culture that is going to hit a lot of companies, as it is going to be mandatory that every day when employees enter and exit the workplace, there is a screening protocol in place. Different medical institutes will offer different strategies of how an employer can screen their visitors and employees and make sure that they are limiting the physical risk of COVID positive individuals coming in and out of the buildings. It is important once again that I emphasize that the need of these particular guidelines is critical and not optional, and that it should be conducted by medical professionals. The second category of safety, as I mentioned earlier, is the mental safety of the employees. Although initially deemed tricky, this is also actually quite a simple one to effect. A lot of corporate organizations are already familiar with different models of care when it comes to the mental health and wellness of employees. And the biggest change with the COVID climate is now communicating the existence of those channels as well as creating and developing a crisis management channel for employees in distress. The COVID-19 pandemic has definitely disrupted the ability of employees to navigate normal life. Also, it cannot be assumed that employees are adjusting. And there may be more interpersonal and relational distress coming from this new way of working. And so a crisis management channel that allows employees to feel support with examples such as the EAP programs as well as the online psychological support channels that a lot of companies already have in place. It is going to be important to emphasize the access to that either through a specific communication channel, a communication line for employees that allows them to directly connect with their mental health channels, or by deploying someone who is a specific crisis management officer to just handle mental health. We will not be able to be in a position as a global society to ignore the importance of mental health and its impact on not just productivity and performance but on the sustainability of the business itself so the first strategy that i've already highlighted which is a crisis management channel for employees in distress is going to be probably the most effective way that employers can be proactive about managing the mental health of the employees the second one is examining the workplace infrastructure itself a lot of employees may already been given the order to stay home and yet Employers or organizations may not have gone and investigated if the home environment is conducive for any productive work. Understanding that employees come from different socioeconomic backgrounds, that they are in different living conditions, that not all of them may be able to perform or even be able to work in their current home environments is probably the most important statement to observe. Not only do employers need to appreciate that employees may not be able to all work from home, they might need to identify new spaces closer to perhaps the employee residence where the employee can go and perform the necessary tasks. Overlooking the step can lead to a lot of performance management issues, which can lead to a lot of employment and labor issues. Because one cannot assume that if an employee is not at the workplace, they will be able to perform their work in the same way. The next strategy under mental health safety is to implement mental health education and improve access to mental health care. This can be done very effectively through webinars and a clear roadmap of how employees can get help when they are going through seasons of stress, depression, anxiety, and the like. It is important in this area that I also highlight that mental health education is a really important way of making sure that employees understand their own responsibility and accountability to their mental health. And there are many resources that employers can deploy to drive this point. The safety education of companies is my third support point when it comes to safety. The subjects that need to be covered in the continuous safety education of employees must include PPE training, the importance of social distancing and remote work over meetings, the reduction of business travel to the barest minimum, especially during seasons where the COVID virus will peak, and last but not least, providing up to date information to employees on COVID related matters and risk behavior. The second category, as mentioned earlier in this podcast, is support. How do companies structure support frameworks while navigating a COVID climate? There are five key points I'd like to make on this. The first being reimagining work culture. For many leaders, work has taken place in a specific environment and this environment has now been disrupted and there is uncertainty on how long it is disrupted for. Secondly, there are employees who already present with conditions or criteria that the Department of Health has deemed high risk for contracting the virus. These include having existing chronic conditions. These include conditions where the immune system is compromised. This also includes factors such as age with employees above 60 being considered high risk as well. This is definitely a point that has necessitated a work culture redesign and a lot of companies are going to have to move around employees during the time that the COVID pandemic is at its highest. So discussing work culture at EXCO, at middle management, with line managers, is going to be one of the most important ways we can ensure back-to-work readiness. And certain factors are going to matter here. How many hours employees are going to spend at the site versus how many hours they can spend at home. Who will replace the skills that is now necessary because of the fact that the employee who previously fulfilled that role is now deemed high risk for COVID-19. The second point on support is navigating communication. Many companies have had existing structures on how they communicate to their employees and this has probably been made easier because most of the communication is centralized, with employees now working remotely and some of them not having access to even a phone. this communication is going to have to be re-engineered. And a lot of companies are going to have to understand that communication is the backbone of performance. And so there must be investment in ensuring that firstly, every single employee is able to connect with the company, whether it is telephonic, whether it is virtual, whether it is physically, and there must be investment to the employees, who are financially disadvantaged in this regard, when it comes to data, when it comes to hardware support, employees are going to have to dig a little deep in their pockets for the high value employees that must have access to this. There must be access to communication. I cannot stress that enough. The third element is companies are going to need to reevaluate performance indicators where necessary. Supporting employees does not mean reducing the level of output that's required, however, it does require an understanding that there is a change that the COVID climate has brought in the employee's ability to reach certain targets. It will do a lot of employers good to look at performance indicators and be able to revise them in the next three months, I would say, of the current COVID environment. The last two are related contract discussions and retrenchment support. Many companies, irrespective of size, are finding themselves in very precarious and unexpected circumstances where they are unable to retain every single member of the company. It is going to be every employer's decision on who stays and goes however it must be done legally and ethically correct communication and support to employees who may have to be let go is going to be a consideration that not only shows goodwill from the employer, but shows a level of humanity and compassion to the climate disrupting the opportunity and ability for companies to retain all staff. Overall, I hope these guidelines are able to guide and direct employers on the way forward, And give some very practical and effective ways of managing the new normal. The most important emphasis as I conclude this podcast is to remind employers that this climate has been a highly stressful and a highly turbulent one for the industry as a whole. And so every captain of industry has got very important and sometimes difficult decisions to make. But upholding the safety and ensuring the support of your biggest assets, your people, should remain at the forefront of this uphill walk. And may, by the good grace of the health angels, may we navigate this COVID climate as strong and as resilient as possible together. I hope you've enjoyed this podcast and I wish you a very productive back-to-work readiness season. This podcast was brought to you by Discovery. Stay informed, stay healthy.